and I think there is no barrier between having that in your game and being very story now. Um, I think if you if you listen to any of my my Call of Cthulhu um, actual plays, you'll you'll sort of hear it, but you won't because what what I'm doing now with the help of TJ is we're editing out all the dice rolls. Um, someone actually left a message about that, saying that they kind of enjoyed that, and I'm sort of thinking I need to put them back in now because actually it it actually. St- it's harder to understand what's going on if you don't hear the dice roll. There's something very interesting going on there for me about how a dice roll becomes part of the story. Okay, that is a rabbit hole that I am not going to go down now. So I will say goodbye and let you get on with your day and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, bye, mate. If you say the real life ends up your days It's time to start a new role-playing phase And you need a rescue Chase coming at you with a rescue A role-play rescue Chase gonna help my friend Let's sit down the game again Rescue My name is Che Webster And this is Roleplay Rescue Hello Rescuers! This is going to be another bonus episode. What you're about to hear really is a conversation between Andy Goodman of Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks podcast and myself following up really on the call-in Andy had made some time ago now that you heard at the top of the show. This has been edited together from a very rough set of files. Uh, Basically Andy and I got online uh, using Zoom and um, it wasn't the best experience for me. But I would be very, 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 very lucky because Evil Jeff got in touch and Minion Bravo offered to do the editing for me. So files were sent over and it's kind of a funny story behind it really because Minion Bravo receiving some Zoom video files assumed that we would need a workable video. So apparently this is one of the toughest video editing jobs that he's ever had to do. And so I present it to you now in podcast form without the video, which is just fantastic. I'm going to just let it run, make of it what you will, and I hope there's something in here for you that will be useful. I certainly enjoyed it. I just want to say a massive thank you to Andy for having this conversation with me. And I think it might have been a part of the reason why he's back to podcasting now. So Andy, I just want to say this. I'm really glad you're back at the mic And I'm just going to say to anyone who hasn't listened to Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks, go and check out his new season of episodes. There's some fantastic stuff in there, fantastic wisdom from a GM who's infinitely better than I am. And now, having played, I don't know, something like 30 games in the lockdown period, infinitely more experienced. This is the Season 7 bonus on Dice and the Loop with Andy Goodman. Game on. How are we going to start then? <laughs> so, okay, so this whole interesting thing about the dice, you know, being part of the story. So let's start with that. Let's unpick that. Um, you were running your plays and you've been editing out the dice. Mm. Um, and in that in that particular call-in, you felt like, I want to put those dice back in. So, yes. so why? What was the thinking? So the initial thinking was I wanted to dis- Firstly, I wanted to speed up, <laughs> you know, the, I wanted to reduce the amount of time the actual play took to listen to. And the obvious thing yeah. to do then was to cut out all the mistakes and all the waffly bits and, and all the dice rolls. And, yeah. and I thought, well, th- this will also make the, the story flow better. Mm. And after a while of listening to it, I realized r- rather blindingly, obviously, really, if you think about it, that without knowing what the dice rolls were, you, were you, you weren't understanding, I suppose, what, what was actually really happening. And by that, I mean, yes, you would hear the setup, you would hear the um, situation presented to the player, the player would then 
decide what they were going to do, and then you'd hear the outcome. But what you were missing was that bit of chaos in the middle, which I suppose dice represent, which are, you know, which way, you know, which way are the gods looking when, when this happens, which, of course, is a fundamental part of the game. It's, it's, um, it's meant to represent the chaoticness of the world, I suppose, of the universe, that not everything you attempt succeeds. And at the same time, it's saying that it's something that neither I nor the players are in control of. Um, and I think that's the bit that was missing, and it felt in a way that we were just... Um, we were just kind of, or maybe me, maybe I was just making stuff up <laughs> to, to suit my purposes, to suit my uh, needs, which I, I didn't really want. Um, and, and I think that that, in, in a way, is, is how the dice tell the story for you. The, they, of course, it's obvious they steer the story in a certain direction, or they, they steer the outcome, of course. And then you, as a group, react to that. And yeah. and I think that if you don't, if you take out all of that element of like saying this is this is the way the gods were looking, this is the way the dice fell, <laughs> so to speak, um, then then you're actually missing a significant part of that narrative. That's that's kind of where I was where I was getting to. And 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 just to add to that, I think the reason I was initially happy to take it out was. In previous, you know, up until I started running Call of Cthulhu and other types of games that were a bit more narrative, um, dice rolls were very, you know, obviously are very frequent when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons or fantasy games because you're you're doing a lot of combat and a lot of resolutions come out of those dice rolls, and so each one on itself in itself is perhaps not that significant. You know, they they eventually add up to something significant, but a single, a single blow of your of your broadsword against the goblin is not that significant. But perhaps ten of them together that comprise that combat is significant. So so maybe the change in the frequency in which the roles were happening and the more um, dramatic outcome of a dice roll. So in Call of Cthulhu, if you get hit, you're dead pretty much, quite often at least. Mm. Um, if you fail a sanity roll, something major is going to happen. Um, if you fail uh, a, um, you know, a, a skill check of some kind to persuade, uh, to persuade the cultists that you're on their side, then major stuff happens. Now, of course, those things can also happen in fantasy games, but but by and large, I at least I find in my experience a lot of the dice rolls are combat resolution, which mm. which is very micro narrative, you know, blow by blow, like millisecond by millisecond. And maybe I felt I didn't didn't need that, but I I learned my lesson. <laughs> Interesting. I uh, recently I've been listening to uh, an actual play experiment called Tale of the Manticore. Um, and uh, John, who produces that, he's 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 sort of trying to present this as a um, writing up or essentially a sort of solo play in Dungeons and Dragons, slight variant on basic D and D, um, and it's very well narratively written and, re and recorded. He's included the dice rolls, and he's he's putting in a sound effect of a die roll and then telling you what the result was and then mm. interpreting that result. In combat, for example, actually, there are times where that feels a little tedious. Um, point when, as you said, the accumulation of those die rolls comes to a head. You know, that there's, a, there's a fight in episode three or four where the hero, of, of, well, the heroes, the survivors, characters who are basically fighting some goblins and there's a magic user there and the most significant absolutely most significant die roll is the saving throw made by one of the characters to resist the charm and mm. she fails that charm and is taken over and then fighting companions and he narrates that beautifully um but it sort of struck me that without that die roll i very much doubt that he would uh you know as gm if, if you knew it was a group play if decided you know to have that charm effect, you know, the role playing game there where we can do these things, we can inflict something upon a character mm. and it doesn't feel as arbitrary. And I've talked about, you know, the whole GM fiat and the limits of that in the past, you know, where dice are a great out, you know, you want to do something nasty, make it a you know. Um, is that sort of similar, a sort of similar feeling to what you're talking about? You know, where there's it's, it's an, 
in a sense, the die rolls seem can seem tedious, but they accumulate to something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the the, the classic phrase. Um, I don't kill my players' characters. The dice kill my my players' characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 taking yourself out of that equation is very important. Uh, I think both for building the right kind of um, trust at the table, but also for establishing, I, I, I guess, some kind of external reality to, to what you're playing. That that um, you aren't just making it up as you go along. Um, uh, you know, you know, I, I don't think I get any more really into antagonistic situations with players where they complain about what's happened to them or, or that I've been unfair. Mm. Um, but that can happen, and it has happened in the past. Uh, mm. I've had argumentative players that don't like the way things have gone, mm. and and often the dice are a way of of at least kind of alleviating that, saying um, that you set the stakes and say, look, guys, this is a very important role. Um, the outcome mm. of this role is going to really be determining what happens right now, and you know, go and make that role, and and and, and even to the point of telling them if you don't get above X, this is going to happen. I, I think is actually mm. quite can be powerful, can be useful at times. I think it's dramatically very powerful, isn't it? It's the it's a way of creating um, you know tension and a, a climax even within a scene, mm. um, and sometimes within a whole of that session, um, and even the adventure, and, and you know by extension. But it's yeah, it's a key tension building thing. Um, a good example I had recently: I, I've been playing um, some games online and used the old classic timer mechanism um, and asking players about it. The whole here's a bunch of dice. Uh, like say 4d6 you roll them we take away the ones that are fives and sixes and when we run out of dice something's going to happen and they're mm. rolling that you know turn on turn or you know, second by second in combat or whatever it was and um asking the players about it I said that yeah that created tension it really created a sense of tension that kind of you know, the uncertainty of that timer is better than a in six round time something's going to happen it was actually in uh, some amount of time you know when the, i think the first die roll five of the dice went out and then last dice didn't go for ages do you know what i mean mm. and every single time that player i got a player rolling it as well every time they rolled it you know there's a tension there and and that can hang on a saving throw that can hang on an attack roll that can hang on a you know whatever it is that's in that moment key um that thing that's why dice are important yeah and there is sometimes a bit of a tension in me as well about how much you reveal about that stuff because some of it you don't mm -hmm. sometimes you don't want the players to know exactly why stuff is happening sometimes they you want there to be a bit of mystery um sometimes you just ask them for a role and don't tell them what the stakes are and i think it's important to get the balance there somehow that because sometimes not telling them can be just as tension inducing <laughs> as telling them what the stakes are it's like uh, could you all roll a d20 please <laughs> and they're all like freaking out so i think these are these are all ways in which the dice help to tell the story but not in a traditional narrative way at all and maybe this is where this kind of new form that we often talk talk about is where it's something that's happening in this different way not in a verbal way necessarily but in this experiential way of like the players mm. having this tension and release and you know that mm. that that isn't verbal necessarily it's it's, it's pretty interesting now um, i've just had an experience where the dice completely, uh, like using random tables and construction of the different interactions between random tables, has completely taken my the initial idea in a totally different direction through the mm. session. Um, so uh, the first session I had it was on, you know, I rolled on a weather table to find out what the weather was going to be throughout the day, which. A lot of play, you know, a lot of GMs would be going, "Why are you doing that? Just decide." But I just, you know, I thought I'll use the table. It's kind of cool. That generated some interest. Itself, you know, it started raining at certain points, which, and I'd set that up before the session. I'd also before the session on some random encounter tables and things that if they got a random encounter, so during the session they were rolling to see if they had an encounter, but actually I'd predetermined some of the things that could happen, you know, during the session. Um, and it's the interaction between the random. That encounter came up 
the generated encounters in the first place and created a really interesting and unique sort of scenario that I had would never have thought of. Would, and that is interesting to follow that track. Essentially, decided to follow up on that kind of thing that got added to the story. You kind of um, spontaneous creation of, of the actual what is going to happen that the players then bite onto. Is, is that something that you experienced as well in your play? Yeah, abs- uh, you know, in a slightly different way. Um, but yeah, this it's funny because I was about to say something almost almost identical to, to what you said, which is about this combination of pre-programmed like stuff mm. that you've rolled before and stuff that's happening at the table and how you blend these together. So mm. um, both Call of Cthulhu scenarios that I've ran, um, both these situations, they required me as the GM to make a bunch of rolls for each of the players beforehand because they're not meant to know what's happening to them. Again, it's this mystery set up. And um, you have to make a bunch of sanity rolls for them beforehand and a bunch of constitution rolls. And um, on one level, it's it's kind of... It's a little bit... Um, you could say it's kind of taking the control out of their hands. But, you know, narratively, what's happening in the first in the first instance is some stuff has happened to them that they that they've lost their memory of. And this has already happened. And it's just waiting there as this kind of ticking time bomb for them to just, you know, lose lose their minds or or to for, for them to wake up and for, for, for them already to be injured, let's say, or or to have lost lost their phone or, you know, a, a bunch of stuff that's almost like in the setup. And I find that very interesting. I've never done that before in a scenario. Um, mm. Kind of only works as a in a one shot, really. It's not part of something you would want to do, I think, ongoing in a campaign. But I found that fascinating that there was there was almost like this pre-programmed element. And when they did certain things, i.e., when they had a traumatic experience, they would lose this huge block of sanity because they'd already had this very traumatizing experience, which then was yeah. kind of brought back to them, and they got a memory back, and it just you know messed messed with their heads in some way. Um, in the, in the in the second instance, uh, this one is a bit different. This is an ongoing situation, so. There's a scenario called Blackwater Creek, which was written by Scott Dorward, and it's fantastic. I'm running it right now. And what happens is every time they either can eat something or drink anything from this area, there's a chance they're going to get more infected by this horrible thing that's in the water supply. But what you don't want to do is is every time they drink or eat something is to make them make a constitution roll because because um, and in fact the, the scenario doesn't say that you should or shouldn't do this it just says they have to make a con roll but the problem is if that's what you tell them to do after every time they eat or drink they're going to stop eating and drinking stuff immediately like for any sensible player go oh you know what I didn't feel so good after that I'm not, I I think I'll just go on a fast for the next three days and then that that, that kind of messes up the story because they're meant to get horribly like affected by this stuff so what I decided to do was to make a bunch of constitution rolls for each of them beforehand and every time they ate or drank something I would just go down the list and say okay that was their next incident that they resisted that time or the time after that they failed really badly or whatever and I sort of mm. felt a bit 50 50 about this and I and I might like now change it up now that they know that stuff is happening to them. But mm. yeah, it it's 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 interesting because it's both that it's in their hands, they also get to make some kind of determination, but it's also something that they that, that you don't want to give away too much of. So I I don't know, it's a it's a tricky one. <laughs> it's also you're touching on something the meta aspect of this is whole thing. I always struggle with when ask players to roll dice, you know, for certain things like mm. uh, whether it's uh, you know that perception, the classic kind of make a perception roll, or you know, do you sneak past the guard thing? I mean, when I'm at playing a physical table, I actually deployed a dice tower, and I would just say to the guys, drop your dice in the dice tower. And when I play on fantasy grounds, I quite like using the dice tower there as well. And I sort of say, yeah, drop your your skill role in the tower so 
it's a hidden the outcome's hidden they can't ah. see the value but they felt like they rolled it you know so it's like my character did that um and 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 that's always been a difficult thing i think of when a gm rolls for a player and when the player gets to roll for their character and, and yeah. that sort of stuff um and, yeah, and that's, for me the dice table was a kind of a middle ground <clears throat> yeah and, and as we know Gary rolled the dice for all his players, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> which I seems weird about this. The, the fact, still though, about how he rolls. You know, read OD and D. It sort of it's the GM who's going to roll. You know, the referee is going to roll your stats for you uh, or give you a character if you play it. You know, as written. And um, this that is alien to anyone these days, isn't it? I I, I think. Coming from that kind of wargaming background, and you know uh, where it's very competitive, and you wanting to make sure that there's some kind of fairness, he he probably had to do that with his players. <laughs> so it shows his mindset. But you know that whole thing of uh, you know you have to trust your players to to not take advantage of of out of character knowledge, and um, some of them you can trust, others you can't. Other others are horrible metagamers, and you know they're. Not that horrible people. I like. I, I play with with all kinds, but um, but uh, you know, you, you really want them to to kind of play along with that that consensual illusion that you're creating. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's so many aspects to this about how how the dice create the story, and and I think I think it is. It, it does, in, to me, like thinking about it now, it sort of gets to the heart of how this is a, a new narrative form that isn't like writing or, 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 or you know, or film or, or whatever. Um, that that uh, there's this kind of external force shaping it that, that isn't under anyone's control. And that's amazing, really, if you think about it. I am... Um... I'm always reminded of Arnold Rimmer and his risk um, <laughs> journey from um, Dwarf, you know, all kind of, uh, I rolled a six and a four, and I rolled uh, a five and a four, and I uh, took out Kamchatka. Um, you know, that, I don't know if anyone knows, outside K knows what I'm talking about, but um, <laughs> when I'm writing, I mean, I find when I'm writing a solo game report, for example, if I'm playing a game with myself, uh, and I'm writing that up, you know, I want to include controls because they're dead important, like you talked about in the actual play, you know, people need to know the context mm. of what feels like it's not enough just to tell the tale. And yeah, I always worry that I'm turning into Arnold Rimmer, you know, <laughs> you know this is the dice roll, this is the dice roll. And I think, it's, it, you know, like talking about Massacre a few minutes ago as well, I think that's one of the weaknesses of combat is that you get a lot of dice rolls and it can become, you know, quite difficult to know you know, like, oh, he rolled, he's got a, you need a 12 to hit and he's rolled a 15, um, you know, and and that, so, if we are, mm. dice, and what's brilliant for me is when players don't tell me the value, that we all look at the value or they'll look at the dice and then they tell me the outcome or they describe something that reflects what the dice are showing, you know. So almost yes. like well, we don't need to say it yeah um we might yell and cheer when it's a crit or or something but most of the time yeah i swing my sword and you know i swing my sword and i miss you know yeah is that enough um i often think it is what do you think it's 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 fascinating because i think this in a way is the story of my journey from D and D to 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 more story type games? Is that I found myself, you know, I, I ran D and D for many years, and I, you know, before moving on to Call of Cthulhu and other and and other types of games, I, I ran like a two year campaign, and I'd constantly be encouraging my players to describe their actions, and you know, mm. like, oh, can you, you know, tell us what happened? You know, you you just rolled a you know 19 and you did like 15 points of damage just you know tell us what happened mm. but it was always like pulling teeth <laughs> they didn't want to they, they, they I, I don't know maybe maybe they found it boring to have to keep doing it or maybe they just wanted to get the combat over with i don't know maybe they just like rolling dice <laughs> um and none of those things are bad right no 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 none of them are bad none of them are bad but i, I felt that you know 
from my point of view, I wanted it to be more vivid and, and more mm. interesting rather than just looking at numbers and ticking off hit points, um, make it more dramatic somehow. And, and I think that then when I moved to games where I, I think at the end it just comes down to how much happens when you roll a dice it's kind of going back to that idea that in 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 a lot of these games a single dice roll can mean you know a lot so call of cthulhu is a kind of in a middle ground because you can have quite long longish combats not not super long because uh, you just don't last that long pulp cthulhu you can have long combats <laughs> i'm discovering <laughs> um and i can keep throwing more ghouls at them and <laughs> although actually a bunch of ghouls nearly wiped out um the party the other day which is really crazy given that they've fought hunting horrors and shantax and all kinds of stuff but um tells tells from the loop um is really my first experience of running a story game <laughs> in inverted commas ron edwards would probably um you know, send send uh, some kind of uh, vitriolic mails to both of us if we uh, use that expression. <laughs> really, you know, I'd never played any Powered by the Apocalypse games. I don't know if you have. I, I know a bunch of our mutual right. friends have, um, but I've never played that. I, I've looked at the rules and I didn't quite get them, I think. <laughs> didn't quite understand. I think we're both, I think we're both there. I found it, uh, yeah, just hard and not as penetrable as I thought it would be. It looks simple, but yeah. how do you do that? Um, exactly. A classic example of a, of a game that completely fails to tell you how to play. It gives you the rules, but it doesn't tell you the, the yeah. process of play. Very clearly. Yeah. Anyway, um, um, so and we'll have to get someone on the show to, to tell us mm, about Apocalypse. Yeah, no, you could probably, uh, I, I, I think, uh, uh, Jeff, Tome of Old Dooms, he, he, he runs it a lot, but anyway. Um, so I never, I, I kind of shied away from that, and I, I'm wondering if I, if I looked at any others. Um, I don't think I did until I picked up um, Tales from the Loop, and I'm trying to think why I even picked it up. I think I just like the artwork. <laughs> I'd also read a lot of stuff about Free League, Free Legan, about how their their uh, Year Zero engine was actually really cool and yep. um, really easy to run. I liked the setting. And then I had it for about a year um, until, I, un, until I ran it. And then I discovered something really... Uh, it's got some things in it, mechanically, that are really, really good for, 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 running, for running your game and for getting a... Um, for actually almost fixing some of the problems that happen in role-playing games. That's what I found. It's really fascinating. Um, so firstly... I don't know if you know, do you know the mutant year zero or oh, the year zero mechanic where um, you basically have to just hit a certain number of sixes and you, you, need, you need one six for a success. And if you get more than one six, you get like extra successes. Um, so it, it pretty much runs across all of them. Some of them are a bit more complex than others, but essentially you have a dice pool. You have a skill, you have four, uh, sorry, four stats. This is in Tales from the Loop. I think it varies, but you have a certain number of stats and you have a certain number of skills. And um, they're both relatively low numbers between zero and five. And then when you're trying to do something, you roll your skill. It's associated with a stat. It just totals up the number of um, points you have and that's the number of dice you roll. It's, it's really incredibly simple. Um, mm -hmm. And you're always aiming for, you're always, always trying to get a single six for success. And if you get more than one six, either you can achieve something extra or you can give a success to another player or a few things like that. In a way, there's, you're not rolling against the enemy or against someone else. It's condensing all of that. Everything that you would do in a combat, for instance, is condensed into one dice roll. The GM does not roll any dice. So if you like rolling dice, it's not the game system for you as a GM. But um, all that's happening is the player is trying to get a success. And by getting that, their success, um, they can then say how they overcome the problem that's put in front of them. Um, which does sound pretty much a bit, it does sound a bit like Powered by the Apocalypse, but it seems to be much simpler 
because it's not looking at that different levels of like if you get a seven to nine or a I, I, I don't know exactly what the number ranges are, but you know, depending on who who rolls what, they get narrative control. But here it's purely um your let's let's paint a, a picture uh, you've entered the um the decommissioned magnetrine flying ship floating ship the um mad scientist is there with his bird machine that he's he's controlling he's he's implanting control chips into the birds and making them attack people you and your pals have have sneaked into the ship and you're trying to break his machine, wrest control away from him, um, uh, you know, um, wreck his plans. Now, let's say in a D&D situation, you would probably have the scientist, you would have a bunch of these killer birds, you would, you would um, have the map, the players would be there, the characters would be there. Each of them would then have a turn at either attacking the scientist or attacking the birds or, or maybe trying to smash the machine. And it would proceed like that until you know, one or other outcome was achieved and could take several rounds and they would be rolling and the and um, the, the players would be rolling for them and I would be rolling for the scientists and maybe the killer birds as well um, and maybe some other stuff would be happening, environmental effects or whatever. Um, Tells them loose simplifies that down to each player, you tell me what you're, tr- you're doing, each of you makes a roll and if you hit the, the certain number of successes, you just narrate out what happens and that's the entire scene is done with one dice roll each effectively and i found that really refreshing because one it speeded things up (laughs) so we could achieve the same kind of outcomes without having to roll tons and tons and tons of dice but it also really encourages the players to think about how narratively um, they're going to perform their actions and what effect that's going to have. So one of them might try and um, hack into the uh, machine with their laptop. The other one might try and um, batter away a few of the birds with their with their skateboard. Another one might try and tackle the, the scientist down to the ground or whatever. Each one would just decide what they wanted to do. And what was interesting was it doesn't matter really what they're trying to do. They still have to hit the same number of successes. So it means you're not playing this kind of, um, you're not looking at a bunch of stats and trying to work out, okay, what's my optimum move here? But what would be, what's cool for the story? And and that was very uh, rewarding for us all. And it also really helped the players because this is the same bunch of players who I played D&D with for two years who didn't like narrating. And I moved them to this place where they were really engaged and happy narrating out what, what would happen. And that's that's why I found that very very interesting. Um, the other mechanical thing that it does, and this is, again, really um, interesting and fixed as a problem you get in games, I think, a lot, is that it it puts the spotlight on the players in a very um, kind of egalitarian way, let's say. It puts the spotlight on them in this very even way. So... The way the game at a meta level is structured is you go from having domestic scenes, everyday life scenes, to having mystery scenes. And you kind of flip between the two. Um, and, and when you're having uh, a mystery scene, obviously they're exploring the adventure, they're, the PCs are probably together a lot of the time, generally. They're trying to overcome the difficulties you put in their way. When they're having an everyday life scene, you basically go to each player in turn and you say to them, okay, now you get your everyday life scene. What do you want that scene to be? And you give them the opportunity to completely invent out of whole cloth stuff that's happening to their player in their everyday life. And it's very short, or it should be very short. And then you move on to the next player and then you move on to the next player and then you go around and it sounds a little bit artificial, but together we created this really cohesive narrative and it was a very effective way of including everyone in the storytelling which sometimes is hard to do mm. so i've 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 expounded at length there i'll, I'll shut up now <laughs> i'll give you a chance to to, uh, to to tell me what you think about that maybe yeah i'm curious about it. it sounds like uh, essentially they're packing a lot into um you know an individual dialogue so you're sort of said the dice, um, as I'm standing, are suggesting a level of degree which they've been 
the thing they tried to do, and mm -hmm. then it's on the player to narrate that through. Am I getting that right? Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. So rather than it being sort of more granular process where there's more regular sort of packing it all into, you know, feel more pressured um, narratively. Mm. Yeah, I, I suppose so. In some ways, I, I think it is putting a bit of pressure on them. But as I said, this is the same group of players who who I played with who 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 were reluctant to narrate in D and D, <laughs> but were very happy to narrate in in Tales from the Loop. So, I think what it does is it it opens up the possibility for them because they realise that they can pretty much make up whatever they want within reason, within reason. Um, because when you say you have succeeded at this thing, tell me what happens. Um, it, it kind of opens up that that possibility. I think the problem is when you say to someone, tell me what happens after you hit that orc with the sword, um, and they say, oh, I chopped their head off. And I think you might have talked about this before, and I, or I might have. And they say, um, I, I chopped their head off. And you go, well, actually, you, you don't because they've still got three hit points left. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's a like a chicken and can keep fighting without a head, but it is still on on his shoulders, kind of thing. Mm. In a way, when you're saying to them, "You've succeeded at this," um, you know, in this situation, then it, it's a lot more loose. Um, I think there might still be some instances where you you might have to step in as GM and say, "Well, actually, no, you you can't." Um, you can't say you've killed this this guy because you're you're a twelve year old kid and you know would you really just you know <laughs> cut his head off uh, if that's what they said they wanted to do I, I I think there are probably still some boundaries around the narration but I, I think everyone understands what the um, what the uh, what the stakes are and what the boundaries are in Intel's in the loop um, it's interesting mm. there's no no player character death in it which is very interesting and i was wondering at first whether this might minimize the feeling of of stakes being set for the for the for the players um you can get broken it's called you 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 um when something goes wrong when you mm. either not, not failing necessarily a skill check but if you if it's a very um, high stake skill check, i.e. you're trying to climb up a very high wall or you're trying to um, persuade uh, or you're trying to reprogram a robot or, or something. But if, if you're just if it's just a regular skill check, it probably won't happen. But but when it's high stakes, you can assign them a condition. There are four conditions, angry, scared, exhausted and injured. And. Um, each one of them obviously has a narrative context and the player chooses which condition they take when something bad has happened to them. Um, and and the, the, em the emphasis is choose the one that makes the most sense. You know, if you're, if you're scaling a wall um, and, and you fall off, well, you're probably going to get injured or, or, or maybe exhausted. I suppose you could get scared as well. I don't think you get angry, but anyway, let's see. Uh, it's pretty flexible. But um, once you get um, all four of them, then you're broken as, as a character. You're not dead, but you, you're, you're pretty much useless at doing anything. And then you have to go in and heal, as it were, in inverted commas. And the way you heal in, in Tales from the Loop is you have to spend time with your friends in a safe environment um, and you have to um, play a scene, a, uh, an everyday life scene, with with no kind of risk or danger, where you're just kind of hanging out, and then your conditions get healed. And I found that a very elegant and nice way of dealing with both with damage and healing, that that made it into something a bit more um, narratively believable. Let's say because you know if you're scared, mm. you want to be not scared. You, you you go and ha you go home and and, and talk to mum and mum will make you feel better. So you can either spend time with what, what your anchors, or who can be your parents or a good friend or whatever, or you can spend time with the gang at the hideout because that's the, another place where you can heal your conditions. Um, hmm. So it's very easy then to to kind of get back to being fully competent in Tales in the Loop and. 
but somehow at the same time it didn't feel as mechanically awkward as a short rest in 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 D five e where you sit down and then you burn a bunch of hit dice and you you heal back forty seven hit points, which which to me is one of the 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 bits of five e that I find most mechanically odd and narratively weird. Um, mm. It 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 uh, okay. Let's re- reframe that. Mechanically, it's elegant actually, um, and and actually turns hit dice into something that. Um, it actually reframes the meaning of what hit dice is, which is cool. But but um, but narratively, it never really made a lot of sense to me um, that you you decide how much more vigor you're going to get back from some kind of um, some kind of uh, repository of vigor, <laughs> as it were. Um, uh, you know, you sit down for an hour and you decide how much better you're going to feel at the end of it. it just it's <laughs> ludicrous really when you when you think of it that way um but anyway um i was i was wondering you know if there's no stakes beyond you just have to go away somewhere and do something and then you come back and you're fine in tells from the loop you know will it feel as dramatic will it feel as tense and i think it does because what what you shift from is is not will my character survive which is a great tension building thing of course and you shift that to will I succeed in my objectives, um, which is equally powerful. Um, and and I and I and I found that 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 is that is a really good thing. So the, so so that other mechanic, you know, again it pushes the players into this. You know, the stakes become shifted somewhat, um, much more so mm. to, from I'm I want to live and I want to become better as a character. Um, and I want to progress to, I want to achieve this very specific story-based objective. Hmm. It's interesting. What I'm, I'm realizing is that we're talking here about using the dice and the, and the game mechanisms to generate a different experience at the gaming table. So um, I'm, I'm thinking back to sort of Ron Edwards's sort of approach of those the sort of three key purposes, you know, like if we're playing a step on up game, then may well like any the visceral dice throwing, moving, you know, um, all it's not PvP, you know, that whole kind of players uh, in in a direct conflict that uh, the foes in the environment is about, you know, can we survive the dragon attack kind of thing? Like a, a more you know, that's a magic kind of frame, then, um, you know, tradi- the sort of traditional mechanisms they used um, are about, you know, d- the dice emulating, um, well, perhaps our level of skill and help to decide whether we're skilled enough in a game. Um, what you're describing is sort of to fit with that um, thematic narrative um, sort of approach where actually what's important here is like you said we succeed in our gold you know are we you know tell some of the right like like uh, young teen kids and stuff like that um so i get the, the theme there for me i guess is about murdering kids necessarily in this game are we whether they defeat the evil scientist in his lab and that kind of stuff. Um, mm. It seems to me that the, the dialogue is about how well do we achieve our goal. It's not about, you know, am I skilled enough or, you mm. know, how many points do I do? It's about how, to what degree do I succeed in? Is that fair? Comp- yes. That totally is, because actually, if they'd have failed at that, it would have just changed the narrative outcome. They wouldn't have died. Um, their characters would still be around, but the, the narrative ending would have been different. Um, and it actually lays out in some of the modules, you know, what the potential narrative outcomes were. In that situation, they succeeded fully. They... they um, 
It's a little bit more complicated than I explained because the, the, they were actually in the climactic scene, and then it's this thing mm. called ex extended trouble. So it's not they don't just need to get a single success; they need to each get three successes. So it's really hard. Mm. <laughs> it becomes very, very challenging, and they have to burn any resources they have to try and get as many sixes as possible. So it becomes this big thing, and and it go, mm. it, it goes on. For, it's more than just a you know roll one dice, see what happens. Yeah. They succeeded completely, so they narr narrated it out. In another game I've been running of Tales from the Loop, actually with a bunch of people from, from the Anchor community, um, they, in their climactic scene, they didn't succeed. Um, they, mm. they didn't get three each. So, but they got enough that I decided I'm going to make it seem like they've succeeded. <laughs> um, they got really mm. close, but they didn't, they didn't nail it. And they knew that. So I narrated out, you know, you've, you've, um, the, the toy robots are all destroyed. It's, it's, this, it's, um, it's kind of like this, uh, these toy robots are taking over the world kind of thing. Um, these toy robots, they've been destroyed. You've rescued your parents from, um, from the factory where they were enslaved, making more robots. Um, you, the, the, the factory's on fire. The, the, the police have shown up and everyone is being taken home and, and uh, you know, whatever. And then there was this kind of coda scene where this guy's on an aeroplane and he's putting a suitcase up into the uh, overhead bin and then you hear the robot voice inside saying, destroy, destroy, destroy. <laughs> so <laughs> so what, what happened was they, they, they kind of dealt with that immediate threat, but actually they didn't fully succeed. They didn't shut down the AI mm. network, which then spread more of this stuff into all these other robots around the world and, and actually then they could all imagine that the, the you know some pretty dire consequences from that so so yes you're right the the level that the level of, of success is really what what they're narrating and also um uh, failure is also an interesting outcome as well which which you could argue in dnd is not as interesting especially if you're well especially if your characters die Maybe it's not that interesting an outcome, or maybe it is. I, Joe, Joe Richter, of course, feels very differently about this. Um, mm. I tend to find my players are not so happy when their when their characters die. <laughs> um, they they yeah. get quite yeah. upset, actually. <laughs> I found, um, and then we have to figure out how we're going to resurrect them or bring them back. So you know. I always feel that that's about you know the level of investment in what you're doing and where you're at. I mean, um, I think when you turn up to the table in the D game, you know, you, you just you bring lots of paper and 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 you just expect new characters. That's kind of the game. Yeah, you know, actually, um, I, I've not played it. I've not experienced it, but I can see character death with um, teenage kids narrative thematic experience would just be totally destructive whereas mm. the opportunity for them to be you know beaten down and broken have to go home to mum really mm. fits that really well yes. and it forces it but also give consequence nonetheless yeah, no. The key here is consequence, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. There, there are consequences. Um, that there's failure for sure, and also what's really interesting and what's I, I love about the system is that there's also rather than leveling up, <laughs> as it were, yeah. at the end of the adventure, you do get experience points. But what that leads to is called change, which is wonderful. Which is a wonderful mm. idea because it's very much keyed into this idea of being 13 years old that you, you, as you get older you do change you change so much when you're that age and and it's that they, they've really built in this very nice kind of system to reflect that that okay yes you do probably get a couple more skill points and whatever you have to give them that, that little mechanical reward to you know that dopamine hit of oh i'm, I'm you know <laughs> one point stronger now but but actually what you ask them to do is okay has your anchor changed you know your mum was the most important person in your life um last summer is that is that now that that 
that that girl from Vegas who showed up and and is kind of hiding out in that in that house that you met and befriended is she now your anchor? You know what what is what makes you proud now? It used to be that you were the smartest kid in school, but now it might be that you've you've beaten robots. Um, mm. You know what is your what is your trouble? You know what's troubling you as a, as a child now? So it's. Yeah, it's 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 a really uh, lovely system for that. What's interesting is that they made a sequel game called Things from the mm. Flood, where you become older teens because in 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 Tales from the Loop you're eleven to fifteen. Um, in Things from the Flood you're sixteen to I guess eighteen. I, I don't know. I haven't actually opened the book yet, but you can die in that one. <laughs> right. So, yeah, the stakes go up a bit. Mm. I was thinking about um, the interaction here between, you know, flying back onto the dice and how they, you know, the random element, if you like, Mm. narrative. And uh, having sort of thought about how uh, the way in which we use the dice differs very much in the particular effect that we want from the game, you know, what is we're seeking from this game. Mm. So if I, you know, I often enjoy, you know, a sort of visceral system where it is second by second or round by round and, and the dice might be used to mod- model the strike, the parry, the way it hits and all that kind of stuff, rune quest or something. Um, mm. And yeah, um, you know, if, if that's the outcome I want, if feel and, and the and sort of the the story I want to tell is about the cut and thrust of that combat, you know, or uh, actually um, in, a, in a game where you know I'm, I'm quite happy to abstract that down to a much more sort of bigger frame and less detailed kind of thing, and mm. to what we have succeeded or whatever. Those are all valid uses of of you know, tool, but but in my you know tool. But I'm kind of curious as to how important game that there is a randomizing, at least an, an uncertainty tool. You know, a fortune. Mm. You got any thoughts? Um, you were cutting out really badly there. Let, let me let me play that back to you. You asked me how. Um, how uh, the different can, can you actually could you say that again because it cut out so badly I'm trying to piece together I'll try to remember what I said you can use the dice in different ways and um, you know like the, the degree in which you would use a dice as a, as a tool to tell the story yeah very much on their kind of story you want to tell that you want but I'm interested in whether you felt the dice are a necessary randomizing or fortune sort of tool of some kind is very part of Mm. okay i have never played amber diceless have you i have played it once how was it (laughs) the negotiation of points um it was very weird, is what I'm going to say. <laughs> you see, I can't even imagine it. <laughs> I, I, from what I understand, it's quite a good, it's an okay system. Like, it does make some kind of sense, but it just seems very weird to me. Um, the, and it shouldn't, <laughs> because it's really just... Oh. Uh, it is just storytelling in a way with some rules associated. Yeah, he's still there. Hello? Can you hear me? Oh. Hello? Oh, gosh. I'm here. Are you still there? I'm here. Okay, all right. I'll... So, Amber, yeah. It does seem very strange <laughs> to me, and I don't feel like it should because I... You know, because I lean more towards the narrative type of play, it should be okay. But I've realized there is something fundamentally important to me about the dice roll. Um, I like to see the players do it. I like to do it myself. Um, it, it's not just about liking it. I think it's something fundamentally important um, 
to to how role playing games proceed that that you need that dice roll and that if it is just about looking up on a table what your stats are and who would you know what the outcome would be that doesn't seem at all like a role playing game that I understand <laughs> at least um yeah when well, when when we played Amber, it felt like accountancy. And um, mm. I'm often accused, you know, of, of playing games that have a lot of numbers and dice in them, and as if that were a bad thing. But actually, the sort of... Um, as I remember, it was a really long while ago, but there's a bidding, you know, you sort of bid a number of points towards things. And, and essentially, at some point, you go the resource management thing going on there. Um, and it was fine. But I absolutely, you know, it was absolutely determined by the player, um, including the gym. Points. I utterly missed the random element. I missed the unexpected in that which was weird. Maybe it was playing wrong, I don't know. Mm. No, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, it's the sort of thing you you could just plug all the numbers into a spreadsheet and just look at the result. You wouldn't need to play it out. <laughs> you could just, which yeah, it just seems. It was really interesting till this week uh, again, getting my head around that game. And one of the things I love about that game is the initiative, the draw, the. Um, and again, it's a really exciting kind of round. Um, just not to me, but it works really well for that for that purpose. You know, for the purpose of deciding who, where, and you've got a physical card, you can kind of go it's gonna get now, um, and then obviously to be rolled to determine, you know, do the outcomes of us mm. be helpful. But I feel like part of the role, if I took all those things away, we were just telling the tale. Um, yeah. Even if it's that really good collaborative tale, it doesn't feel any more quite like a role playing game. Um, and I'm emphasizing that word deliberately. And that's <laughs> that's exactly the key point. And um, I think just to just to round out and, and wrap up what I what I would like to finish with, because I, I do have to run, I'm afraid. But um, is that it's just because I'm a narrative, probably story gaming kind of person. It doesn't mean I want to sit around a fireplace and pass the stick and yeah. just tell stories. I want there to be a game at the heart of it. And it's just how much narrative outcome there is from each dice roll, I think. That's the that's the kind of dial that I I like to either turn up or, you know, sometimes turn back down again and, and go back to the to the granular um combats. Um I, I I'm still playing D D every day with my four year old daughter and she she loves it, so I think I'll have to keep doing that. But, uh, but yeah. So, look, I, I don't know if we've come to any kind of conclusion. I feel like we talked about interesting stuff, but not sure what we resolved. Um, <laughs> but I did enjoy talking about it, and yeah. I thank you so much. Yeah. Well, look, anytime, Che. I'm always happy to jump on a call. Hopefully, we can have a better um, internet connection next time. But. Um, it's uh, it's lovely having the chance to speak to you in, in any case. So that's it, really. Uh, another bonus episode for you. I hope you found something useful and you enjoyed it. Massive, massive thank you to Andy Goodman for coming on the show. Even huger, really, thank you to Minion Bravo and also to Evil Jeff from Minions Amusings for doing the editing work. I could not have got this out without you guys. I absolutely could not have got this out without you. So huge, huge, huge thank you. And um, yeah, I don't even know where to begin, really. This was monumental and you've made such a difference to me. So thank you. It was probably the best end of term present um, any old podcaster could have wanted. And... On that note, I'm going to leave it. Thank you for being a fantastic listener and giving it a go. If you've enjoyed listening to Andy, please consider sharing it on social media. And failing that, I'll see you again on the flip side. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. Game on. (laughs) 